Welcome back, everybody, to the That's God podcast. My name is Dave Burr, and I get to be your host. And today I am very excited. I'm at the uh, Pursuit Northwest Church. In Pursuit Northwest. Pursuit Northwest Church in Snohomish, Washington. And I'm in the office of Pastor Terry Bonner, executive pastor here at Pursuit Church. Terry, thank you so much for, for joining us. This is going to be a really cool time that we have together. You are passionate about prayer. My audience knows uh, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Judy very well, and they have both said that you are like the most passionate person they've ever met when it comes to prayer. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. Great. I'm so, excited. Yeah, it's one of my uh, life passions. I think a great way to start off is just to hear your story about prayer. We met in a coffee shop a couple of months ago, and you started telling me a little bit that prayer was not always your passion, was not always your number one thing. And I think a lot of us are like that. You know, we want to have a more vibrant prayer life. We, we want to see God work in our prayers, uh, but something... There's a stumbling block in there somewhere. And so I want to hear your story of like, how did you become passionate about prayer? Where yeah, did that absolutely. Start? Well, you know, I come from a kind of three or four generations of prayer people in my lineage. And I grew up hearing about my great grandfather who was a farmer in Idaho. And after farming all day, he would go to his attic by himself. He would climb up there and he would pray for the family for hours. Wow. And then grew up with my grandmother, who I hated going to her house because it was always a prayer meeting. <laughs> you couldn't do anything. My parents would send me over there to mow the lawn. I mowed the lawn, got 20 bucks, and had to sit through a prayer meeting. And as a kid, I hated it. And then even with my father, I just remember as a kid, he was a logger, but he would get up at 3.30 in the morning, and he would make bacon and eggs. And my job was to get up with him and wait for my Uncle Jim to pull up in the driving area. And then I would tell my dad, but my dad was always sitting there with a Bible, meditating on the word and praying. So I always had this idea of the importance of prayer around me, but it doesn't mean that you as a person begin to pray. And, you know, then I joined the military after high school. And I remember one day I was overseas and I was just having a really bad month. And I was literally coming to the end of myself. And I was Mm -hmm. just laying on my cot one night, just in depression, major Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. And God put a thought in my head. He said, remember what your grandma used to say. My grandma used to say, you can never outrun the prayers of Mm. a grandma. (laughs) And so I got up right then. The depression lifted and I ran. And I I remembered my parents had given me this camouflage Gideon Bible. So I searched the whole barracks area, found it and just held it to my chest the rest of the night. (laughs) And I still didn't become a praying person after that, but it, it cemented inside of me that yes, prayer is important and prayer is effective and it works. I don't know much about it. Well, fast forward years and I became a pastor. And I would say for the first uh, five, six years of being a pastor, I was a preacher, but I wasn't a prayer person, which is interesting because when I was an intern studying to be a pastor, my aunt met me in an airport one day and she said, God wants you to know that you're going to be a person of prayer. Hmm. And I literally said to her, no, (laughs) because my idea of prayer in the church was four old ladies in the back room. Yeah. And they weren't nice and they were odd. I don't know why prayer teams always have to be strange, you know? (laughs) And so I said, no, I'm not doing that. So for the first five or six years, I just focused on being a good preacher and doing all all these things. But then I moved to Alaska, Western Alaska, where there's a lot of shamanism and witchcraft and Uh, spiritual warfare. And I got put in several positions where uh, dealing with demon-possessed people, things like that, where you learn right away that being a pastor and not praying Mm. is not good. No. 
And I had several dramatic encounters which led me to begin to study what is prayer. And the, and the way I did it was I just bought a brand new Bible and I went through Genesis and Revelations and I highlighted any time it talked about prayer. Mm. And then I began to make some of those verses my life verses. I, I would begin to pray them every day. And then the funny thing happens is when God calls you to something, you can try your best to get out of it, but he's always going to bring you around to it. So I've always been working in churches full time as either a lead pastor or an executive pastor. So they pay me to either lead or administrate or you know, mm -hmm. be an executive. Right. But because of that, they were always allowing me to do what was in my heart, and that was to run prayer schools and lead prayer ministries and prayer meetings. And yeah. so over the years, I just began to, as I was leading these meetings, because I've, I've never been one to just think, well, I need to go to school for five years, then I can teach about prayer. No, I began to teach about prayer with what I know. And there's a, a, one of the ancient Christian fathers used to say, pray what you can, not what you can't. Uh, pray what you know. And so if you only know one scripture on prayer, just begin to pray that. If you only know one prayer, mm -hmm. God help me then pray mm -hmm. that. And that's what I did. I began to just pray and I would have a journal out. And at night I would go into the secret place because in Matthew 6, Jesus says, hey, get along, go into the secret place, shut the door. Really just get away from distraction, get away from people right. and just begin to pray. And when I did that, I just began to pray the Lord's prayer because remember um, when the disciples went to Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to raise the dead. Mm -hmm. And they, they saw him doing that and they saw him doing miracles. No, they said, teach us how to pray because what they saw in Jesus was that every morning he got up while people were sleeping, climbed the mountain and prayed. Yeah. And then the Bible says at night when they went to bed again, he would climb a mountain to pray. And then they saw two or three other uh, opportunities where Jesus got away from people, got away from the crowd and went into the wilderness to pray even before the start of his ministry he was gone for 40 days alone yeah and so i began to just put that into practice praying the lord's prayer and i realized that the the lord's prayer is not like a, a 34 second and it literally is like a 34 second prayer that you can pray and it's very poetic and it's very complex and deep yet it's simple enough that little kids sure can remember it and Mem say memorize it. it yeah yeah so i just began to pray that and then it hit me one day this isn't a 34 second prayer this is an outline and I began to take the six, hmm. seven sections, depending on how you look at it, and I would take each section and just begin to elaborate my prayers, and I would write them down, and I would literally create prayer guides. And then through that, I began to find other verses, and this is what really changed my mind on prayer. When I stumbled upon Daniel chapter 6, where it talks about, uh, you know, Daniel was fasting and praying for 21 days for a breakthrough, yeah. and nothing, nothing was happening. And finally, uh, an angel showed up and said, yes, God heard your, heard your prayer. But it literally in the original language says, from the moment he thought the prayer before he verbalized it, God heard his prayer and sent wow. a messenger. But the messenger was delayed fighting the prince of Persia yeah. until one of the chief angels came and spiritual warfare broke <laughs> it free and the answer came. And I thought, okay then sometimes the, the problem isn't that I'm not a very good prayer person and my prayers aren't being answered. Sometimes there's warfare. God is still hearing yeah. my prayers. And then I stumbled upon two other things. Number one's a phrase. Uh, your worst prayer and your worst day is pretty amazing. <laughs> because we, we always think of someone that's yeah. uh, a prayer teacher is anointed, right? They're really good at it, but I'm not. Mm. But the Bible says every time you pray that God hears it, considers amazing and says it's literally like an incense to him yeah because it's not on your ability to be loud or passionate the, the power of prayer is not you it's god well he wants to have a relationship with us and that's how we communicate with him mm -hmm. that's that's it that's the tool isn't it it is you know and i've i always tell people you know at the end of the day 
I think we focus too much on eternity in this sense, that I grew up hearing about the rapture or whatever, and that at some point Jesus is coming back, we just need to tarry and wait and hang on and not really get involved in anything in this world. And when you teach people that, then of course they're not going to pray for change in their region, in their city. But when you read verses that talk about pray for the peace of your city so that it will go well with you, mm. right? We have a we have a regional responsibility to pray. Yeah. So I began to pray for my city wherever I live. I, I felt like God said, if you're a prayer person, you are literally the spiritual neighborhood watch for yeah. wherever you live. Wow. So I began to take that on and it began to stir something inside of me. That's awesome. Because sometimes we think, uh, well, I don't even know what to pray about. We can pray for our neighborhood, our city, our, our state. Not things that we normally would think that we we would pray for, but or would be the first priority for us to pray for. But man, what a what a huge responsibility that is for us as Christians to pray over those that are or that we live with every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if people would ever finally grasp this idea of the amount of power that is in prayer, that when you pray, things can change. Yeah. And literally in Revelations chapter four, it gives us a description of God's throne room. And it says that there's a rainbow emerald behind God and that there's a, a sea of crystal that leads up to God, which represents authenticity. Mm. And there's seven burning torches. And I actually use Revelations four as a uh, kind of a prayer guide for me, because I love that idea of the crystal sea that represents authenticity, because a lot of times we come to church with a mask on our face and we don't want anyone to know right, that something's us. going wrong right. in our lives. Yeah. Uh, and so we do that with prayer sometimes. We go in the prayer closet and we're like, God, how are you doing? My day's great. God already knows it's not. <laughs> right. He wants you to be open and honest. And then I realized by studying on prayer that in the Old Testament, especially in Psalms, there's what they call the prayer of complaint which, um, you know, in I'd say the first five, 600 years of Christianity, that was a very common prayer, that if you had a complaint to God, he's big enough to hear your complaint. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we say, well, don't do that because that's not faith-filled. That's just not biblical. Mm -hmm. And it's true that if you're having a bad day, it's okay to say, God, I'm having a bad day and I'm yeah. frustrated and I'm angry. Yeah, it's honesty, right? It's honesty. And yeah. that's the only time that we can find, uh, you know, help within ourselves yeah. is when we're honest with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you wrote a book on prayer. I've read it, and I think it's, an, it's, it's a great tool. And some of the things that you had mentioned are towards the back there, some of your prayer guides. One of the things you talk about in your book is journaling. And I think you said that, and I'm not sure where this is in the Bible, I believe you said that God actually writes out the prayers that we communicate with him. Yeah, there's, there's a verse that literally says, when people sit around and talk about the fear of the Lord, that God writes that down. Yeah. And that really inspired me that, yes, even now we're doing a podcast about prayer, that God hears that and God yeah. loves that. And he celebrates that. Absolutely. And I'm not a journaler, but there's something that's been in the back of my mind. It's like, you need to start journaling. You need to start writing these things down. You need to start writing down answer prayer and things like that. My wife and I, we pray every morning. I shared with you earlier something that happened uh, with my wife this morning, and uh, she got an urgent call, if you will, to go out and pray for somebody. But we need to write those things down. Like, we don't know what's going to happen yet. We don't know how God's going to answer that prayer. But how awesome is it to have a, a journal that we can look back on and go, hey, remember when God answered that prayer this way? We never thought it was just going to happen that way. 
Well, in the Old Testament, whenever uh, the nation of Israel would win a big battle, they would create uh, memorial stones mm-hmm. and big stone, uh, kind of like a tower, so that whenever the next generation came by, someone from the older generation would tell the younger generation, That's right. this is when we won the battle. So yeah. to me, journaling is that same thing. This is where it happened. This, this is, is where it happened. Yeah. So we all, we all have to deal with our mind. And the enemy's number one strategy against us is in uh, rejection, failure, anxiety, frustration, depression, those type of things that all play out in our minds. Yeah. So when you begin to write down in your journal, man, I'm just having a dark night of the soul. I'm, I'm just going through this month that's not good. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just filled with anxiety, right? And you write that down and then you begin to write down prayers to combat that. Like the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about mm-hmm. everything, right? And so when you get through that and God begins to just intervene with an invasion of grace and just, uh, you know, wipes away the depression and brings just good times, you write that down. And then what happens, it's like those memorial stones. A year later, you're just reading through your journal and you're like, oh, I have gone through bad times before and God has yeah. never let me down and he's always showed up. Yeah. I'm a big believer when I teach, teach discipleship classes. I encourage everyone to begin to journal because it slows us down. I even write out prayers in my journal. Hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest things that I've learned. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, let's talk about God's timing in prayer. Tell me the story about crazy revolutionary guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's actually, I called him revelation guy as a joke in a church I was pastoring in Alaska because he was a door greeter at uh, Walmart. Yeah. And he just looked like Einstein. He, you know, and, <laughs> and he was just, uh, he was crazy. He'd always come with these conspiracy theories about the end times and revolution or revelation. So I would begin to tell my staff, well, that's crazy revelation guy. And they all yeah. knew him. And he was a great guy, but yeah. it was strange. And so one day we were going through this thing in our church where uh, all of a sudden, because of some circumstances and, and uh, one of our biggest tithers leaving, our million-dollar facility, we were going to be unable to pay that or the staff or the bills hmm. within weeks. Wow. And, uh, you know, when you hear this story, you might just think, oh, okay, that's that's bad. But when you're living it out and no. you have families responsible for it and you can't, you're going to lose the building. It's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And I was still a young pastor and I was still learning prayer and all these things. Um, but I think God sometimes organizes and administrates situations in our life to teach us to trust Him. So I was with my youth pastor down in my office and believe it or not, we were playing ping pong because when you're about to lose everything and there's nothing else to do, you know. <laughs> what else do you do? What else do you do? <laughs> Play ping pong. And right then the secretary came in and she said, hey, Pastor Terry, uh, crazy revelation guys here. And I was like, why not? I just mean, just what I need right come now. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Can't hurt, I guess. Can't get any worse. <laughs> so he comes in and he begins to tell me this story. I think it was like 20 years earlier that God told him to begin to save his money. Hmm. So I'm thinking, oh, great. I need $80,000 or whatever. And this guy works at Walmart as a door greeter. He's going to, what What kind of money could he save in 20 years? Right. Like $5,000. I don't need $5,000. But yeah. I was thinking, I didn't say that to him. He comes in and he's telling me the story that God told him to save up this money. And in 20 years or so, whatever it was, to give it to one of three organizations, either mm-hmm. our church mm-hmm. or this uh, federal building thing. It was, it was a government building and, mm-hmm. and some other entity. And he went to those two groups earlier that day and they wouldn't even talk to him because they knew him too. It's, it yeah. was a town on an island. You he was knew a crazy everyone. guy. Yeah, he was a crazy guy. Yeah. So I let him in 
which is a good lesson to learn that even in, in the worst of times when our mind is running crazy with anxiety, how many opportunities for victory do we miss because we just live in that anxiety rather than just trusting God? Yeah. And so he's telling me this story and he goes, because you chose to meet with me today, I've given it to you. And so once again, I'm, my expectation is not high. Wow. And he just begins to slap down on the ping pong table hundreds, stacks of hundreds. I think it was like six or seven stacks of hundred dollars, like wow. six, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. And then he leaves and he brought it in like a weird white bag or something. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is kind of sketchy. Did he, <laughs> did he steal it from Walmart? Yeah, what happened here? And, you know, I don't know how long, maybe an hour, 30 minutes, an hour later, my secretary comes in because... Before I was playing depressed ping pong, <laughs> like, oh Lord. But now I'm playing just like, okay, there's $7,000. Yeah, we might right. make it a week. Now ping pong is like, yeah. it's, it's awesome now. <laughs> well, she comes back and she says, well, Revelation guy is here. And instantly in my mind, I went to negativity uh. and pessimism. And I just said, oh, he wants his money back. <laughs> he went home and his wife said, are you insane? <laughs> Go get that money right now. So, and he walks with that little bag. And I don't think he even said a word that time. And he just begins to lay down stacks of oh my hundreds again, wow. thousands of dollars. Oh my goodness. And in my mind, I'm still thinking, did he steal it? Is it, a, <laughs> is this drug money? Then I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> if God brought it, the Bible says God brings the wealth of the wicked, There you go. you know, to the storehouse. <laughs> and so, you know, just that story right there taught me that you know, to a billionaire needing $70,000 is not a lot. Yeah. But when you don't have any yeah, and you owe that much money, uh, oh. that's a miracle. Exactly. And that really yeah. taught me the power of prayer and the power of uh, trusting in God. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when we knew you were going through this, when Crazy Revolution Guy came in? Oh, I'd say my 30s. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was a young pastor, so yeah. I hadn't lived long enough or failed enough yeah. to actually get any wisdom that would have said, just hold on. So what's amazing to me is God started working this plan in your life when you were 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just blow your mind? Yeah. And, it, you know, I told this story last night actually in our spiritual warfare class and someone talked to me after the class they said man i just i just regret that i didn't learn all this stuff later because they were like in their 60s mm -hmm. and i said you know i went through that season two where i was like why did it take me so long right to learn this and and what could i have done yeah uh if i'd have learned it earlier but then god kind of reminded me that everything that happens in our lives the failures the successes mm -hmm. who we let into our lives all of that correlates at some point in yeah. time whether you're young or old into a, a place where you can be effective for him not yeah. effective for yourself mm -hmm. because we're not trying to build our kingdoms but his kingdom yeah so uh, now i don't have any regrets i'm mm -hmm. like at least I'm 54 and I know it. I'm right. not 70 and I still don't know it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, even those of us that are in our 60s, even if we've had years of screw-ups, you know, and failures and things like that, that's, God has still been working in your life. You now have all those experiences. You can relate to a whole lot more people now that are going through very similar things that you have gone through. That, that's just part of your testimony. And it's like, this is how awesome God is. I was so screwed up, you know, I, I've messed up so many times, and uh, but here I am. Well, in a recent class, 
I was telling that, you know, people look at pastors and they think, well, you, you have it so easy. You just show up on Sunday and preach or lead a class. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happens. And I was telling them, you know, even me, I, I've gone through my own share of trauma. Sure. We, we spent eight years or nine years of just thinking our son was going to die any time from the seizures he was having. Oh, wow. I, I can tell you four or five times where I was in a restaurant on the ground holding my son, mm. waiting for the paramedics, and mm. he's having a full-on grand mal seizure. Wow. When you go through that ups and downs of that thing for eight or nine years, boy, it teaches you to pray with a depth Yeah. You know that you've never had before. So as humans, we always try to get out of anything uncomfortable. We don't want to fail ever, mm -hmm. but it's in our failures and going through the hard times that we really learn. That's how God formulates us. That's why James says, count it joy when you go through trials, mm. because if you process them correctly, you'll come out stronger yeah. and a better prayer person. Yeah. Wow. So how do we, how can we build up our prayer life? How can we become passionate at prayer? I think one of the things that you talk about in your book is practice, practicing prayer, which to me means that, well, anything that I practice, I generally become better at. And so are you saying that's the same thing with prayer, that we get better the more that we do it? Yeah, because it's one of what they call the spiritual disciplines. The key is the word discipline. Mm -hmm. It's very few people do I know of just say, oh man, you know, every single day, it's such a joy to go pray. No, a majority of people, if they're honest, would say, you know, there are times I don't feel like praying, mm -hmm. but it's one of these spiritual disciplines and habits that we're required to do as a Christian. It's not a, hey, pray if you want to. Now, most people choose not to. It's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines that we have, yeah. but it is a requirement as a mm -hmm. Christian in the Bible that yeah. we pray. And the more you pray, it does a couple things. It, it not only uh, builds new net, you know, thinking network pathways in your mind, because the, the reason you think the way you think right now is because of everything you've gone through sure. and who's spoken into your lives and how, you, how you've reacted to situations and what you even believe and say about yourself. It creates these pathways of thought that you just naturally go to. It's just like, I call it like muscle memory when you're shooting a gun. You shoot a gun the same way every time. It's muscle memory. It teaches you how to shoot correctly. Yeah. Spiritual muscle memory is learning how to pray and pray correctly every single day so that when something negative happens in your life, you don't have to call the prayer team and go, oh man, I'm just so frantic. I don't know what to do. No, you've already built this daily practice of prayer over the years. So you have a foundation of faith and a foundation of prayer that can help you. And it only comes from doing it every single day. And then what I tell people too is, because I grew up Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And when, when you grow up Pentecostal, nothing's written down. There are no prayer guides. Everything's by the <laughs> Spirit. Everything's emotional. Everything's loud. And I didn't realize till later that, you know, some of the greatest prayers were written down by the early church fathers. Hmm. And then even that what they call the apostolic prayers in the Bible, which are all the prayers that were written in the New Testament by those that were closest to Jesus. Hmm. They call them the apostolic prayers, and they're some yeah. of the deepest prayers that you can pray and read. And they actually not only made my prayer life deeper, but they matured me as a person because I had to slow down and really think about what these prayers meant. And uh, as a Pentecostal, we were taught, well, you don't need books. That's just worldly. But when I began to study prayer books and I began to study prayer movements, uh, it began to deepen even my own prayer life. And I began to add certain things sure. to it. 
Okay, like Jeremiah 33, 3 says, you know, pray to God, he'll show you great mighty things that you didn't know before. So God speaks to us. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, the word of God was in me like a fire and I tried to keep it in, but it came out. <laughs> right. I, I read those and I began to add those to my daily prayers and I begin to grow. And so, yeah, you have to do it every day and uh, don't be arrogant about it. Because some people think, well, my, the way I pray is the only way, but the Bible says to pray with all types of prayers in every situation. There's loud prayers, there's spiritual warfare prayers, there's calm prayers, there's times of solitude, mm -hmm. reflection. Uh, and I practice those daily mm -hmm. because it helps me grow as a person. Yeah, yeah. Well, spiritual warfare, uh, that's, uh, man, it's, I think you can just feel it outside these days. It's uh, more prevalent than ever. You have a chapter in your book uh, about Ephesians 6, about putting on the armor of God. And in fact, you list uh, a bunch of articles that aren't even included in, uh, I, I can't remember what you called it, but maybe the missing yeah. armor of God. Can you go into that a little bit uh, about what some of those are and what are the, some of the things that we need to cloak ourselves with every day as we go out into the world? Yeah, so uh, I realized when I was studying the Lord's Prayer and uh, different things like the armor of God, because that's we, we've been taught that since we were kids. If you grew up in church, vacation Bible school, put on the armor of God. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was just a you know like a Christian animated gimmick. Okay, you just put this on, everything's right. going to go. I didn't realize it was actual uh, spiritual warfare items or emblems. And then I realized by study that there's actually a list in the Old Testament of the armor of God as well, and it includes something out of Isaiah, mm. which talks about the cloak of passion. And so I added that to this armor because I think one of the things that's always missing in our prayer life is passion. And when I say passion, I don't mean screaming and yelling. Yeah. I mean, there's something burning inside of you, Yeah. whether it's your destiny or the purpose that God has given you, or it's just prayer. There's gotta be something that stirs up. In the, and even the Bible says, stir up the gifts of prayer, stir up the gifts that are within you, stir these things up. And so, yeah, I could get up every morning, like a guy told me last night, he said, I wake up every morning and I just put on the armor of God and I go about my day and I'm thinking, okay, well, what about the passion? Okay, mm -hmm. what about, Yeah. because you're right, we live in a world now where uh, right and wrong are just upside down. Totally. And, and the other side, they're very passionate oh, about yeah. what they're doing. And we've seen churches, and mainly because churches in the last 20 or 30 years have really gone away from having prayer meetings and having prayer people and intercessors, we've seen a lack of spirituality in our churches that has, have caused a lot of our churches to go woke. Mm -hmm. And we wonder, how did we get to this place where these churches are no longer spiritual? Because we got rid of the one thing, the one opportunity to increase spirituality in our church, and that is through prayer. Yeah, yeah. And without that, they've gone worldly and woke, as you said. Um, I agree, passion is what's missing in a lot of churches these days. You can go into a church and it could be just extremely dead, you know, and you can feel it when you're walking in there like, wow, there's just, there's just nothing happening, no life here. But on the other side, there are churches that are really, to me, that are exploding in, in that passion. And it's because they have a great prayer meeting I think your church, do you not meet in a certain week, uh, a morning uh, each week and devoted to prayer? Yeah. So I was teaching on this too recently, and this is uh, really eye-opening for the church. I, I don't want to say worldwide because there are a lot of churches in Africa that they just are great oh, at praying. Absolutely. Um, but in America, you know, we, we try to practice what the Bible says in the Old Testament 
uh, call a sacred assembly. So when something's going wrong, we call a sacred assembly to fast and pray for our nation, right? Yeah. And so in America, our version of that is January 1st through the 31st, where almost every church says, okay, there's a prayer focus mm -hmm. for the next 31 days, and then we never hear about it again. Yeah. But in our church, we, we have a sacred assembly for prayer every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. We'll have 100 to 150 people, full wow. worship band, and we are just going after God. We're praying from the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just uh, whatever happens. We're praying all week. Mm -hmm. What is the topic for prayer that day? Mm. And, uh, and I'm telling you, one of the reasons that we don't see prayer in churches is because a lot of pastors are not praying people. Wow. But, but think about how churches are organized. If there's a large meeting, Guess who's going to run it? Mm -hmm. The pastor. And if he's not a praying person, right? Okay, that'd be like me if I wasn't administrative trying to run the administration team. It's yeah. just not going to work out. Yeah. You know, so we we have to really begin to trust people and raise up intercessors to begin to you know build a culture of prayer within our churches. Yeah. Well, and also uh, another reason we should be praying for our lead pastors. You yes. Know, pray for them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to to shake them and to uh, awaken them and to you know grab that mantle that's been given to them well yeah and i just was watching a youtube video earlier this morning where a guy a prayer leader was preaching on changing synagogues into temples hmm. so like our churches would not be these dead dry liturgical mm -hmm. you know ritualistic things but instead we'd become a temple where the glory of god resides and the bible says wherever we choose to pray and worship that god inhabits it becomes his habitation. So it's not just church. If I'm riding in my car and I said, God, I just declare according to your word that this is where I'm choosing to pray and worship. And that's what I do. When I drive, I drive a lot by myself. I pray. Yeah. So because I'm praying in this car, this becomes a habitation of God. Hmm. But we think it's just Sunday morning. So a lot of people, the only time they pray, and it's not even them praying, the lead pastor is praying on yeah. Sunday and they're like, oh, he's praying. And I said, amen. So that's my prayer for yeah. the week. <laughs> I'm covered. I'm covered. <laughs> yeah. But I always tell people, look, I'm not your Catholic priest. Okay? Yeah. You have to have your own relationship every day yeah. through prayer. Very true. Yeah. I think some of the greatest growth that I've had recently is just being able to carve out more time in the mornings to have that, to have that quiet time. Some people have a, a literal prayer closet. They will go in and they'll just lock themselves in a closet and other people it might be their car. You know, for me, I think it's probably, uh, there's a certain chair in my living room that, uh, that's kind of my spot. So it doesn't have to be a, a, a literal prayer closet, but just some place where you can be alone and you can have quiet and you can dedicate that time between you and God. Well, yeah, and we, there's an idea called stewarding prayer. How do you steward? How do you administrate? How do you manage it? Well, one of the number one things to learn is priority. You prioritize what you believe in. Mm. And if we believe in doing prayer, we're going to begin to prioritize it. So when I start my day, the reason I moved my prayer room to my car is because I had an office at home. But my son has a friend whose dad's not really in his life, and his mom died a year and a half ago. He's 19 years old, if you wow. can imagine that. Mm. And so he, I asked him to move in with us, but I had to give up my prayer room. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> when you have a prayer room that you pray in every day, and all yeah. of a sudden you lose it, man, you're, you're like a vagabond, like yeah. wandering around. Like, Where am I going to go? And then I was in the hallway for a while <laughs> trying to pray. But then I, it dawned on me that, man, I... I'm in my car an hour a day driving yeah, and I have an opportunity to pray. And so I prioritize it. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and go, well, you know, if I get to prayer today, if I do it, no, I have a priority of when I'm going to pray and how I'm going to pray because it's, it's super important to being successful in our journey of following Christ. 
Yeah. Well, and what an awesome thing that when you lose your prayer space, that it, it, it hurts. That tells me that that's a, uh, a high priority in your life. So let me wrap up this version of the That's God podcast. Pastor Terry, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope you guys have all uh, grabbed something out of this uh, conversation. I know I have. This has been awesome. We look forward to hearing from Pastor Terry again. So thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. God bless you. Bye-bye.